no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf that they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, It is because we had no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven bread loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. The sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, saying, Don't even go into the village. The word of the Lord. Good morning, church, and Merry Christmas. I trust everyone had a great week of celebration with their, with their family. Uh, last week, if you're paying attention to our series in Mark, uh, last week we, we taught on Mark chapter, chapter 8, 27 to 30. So we're, we're backtracking a bit this morning. And the only reason for that is because uh, uh, verses 27 to 30 are a fantastic Christmas passage. So we wanted to tie that into our Christmas uh, theme. So the, where we find ourselves this morning is, happens just before what we covered last week. Well, how many of you have traveled this holiday season? A few of us, maybe. How many of us are, are visiting? Maybe you're, you traveled to be here. A few of us. That's great. Welcome here. Uh, I am a worried traveler. I don't know if anyone can relate to that. I'm the type of person who checks 18 to 20 times to make sure that I have my passport with me before I go to the airport. I'm someone who, when I'm driving along the, down the highway, if my, my gas tank gets to be half full, I, I start worrying. I'm like, oh, I better find gas. I don't want to run out of gas. I'm someone who, if my vehicle makes any type of noise, I, I go into panic because I'm not close to home. What are we going to do? I'm someone that worries whether or not I brought the right things. And I'm someone who often feels like when I get in the car and head out with my family, like we got to be missing something. we got to be missing something. I'm sure a few of us can relate to that. I'm sure maybe some of us even forgot something uh, this Christmas season going place to place. But I find myself imagining and defaulting to imagine the worst case scenarios. And getting stressed out about a passport or whether or not I'm going to run out of fuel is one thing. But I find that often my imagination can run away on me and I begin to wonder, what if? 
What if? Maybe you've thought about this phrase in your own, in your own life, in your own experience. You know, what if we don't get there on time? Or maybe you start wondering things that keep you up at night. What if I get that sickness? What if uh, someone I love gets sick? Or what if this diagnosis doesn't turn out the way that we thought it would? What if there's not enough money in the bank? What if I got laid off? We can wonder what if about our relationships. What if things don't work out in this relationship I thought that it, in the way that I thought that it would? What if I find myself forever lonely? I think we can all think of ways that we've wondered what if. But have you ever stopped to ask the question, why? Why is it that we wonder about these things? Where, where have I learned to worry so much? Where have I learned to sit in doubt and fear? I don't think I have to look much further than the news or our, our culture in this day and age. And maybe it's not surprising that I worry. We think about governments wrestling with budgets. And people wondering, how is all of this going to work out? A world that's asking big questions about climate change. Week to week, it seems like there's often news reports about different hate crimes. Different things going on in the ra- in, around in the world that just are unimaginable to us. We hear stories of lost jobs, foreclosures, stories of marriages falling apart. And all of this saddens us, but it also makes us wonder, what if? Can this happen to me? And it seems like our culture has taught us that we need to worry. Our culture has taught us that we need to be concerned about these things. Our idea of the world is incredibly influenced, isn't it? The things that we think about when we consider the world around us it is incredibly influenced. Well, our passage this morning invites us to sit with Jesus' disciples in a boat. And if we sit with them long enough, we will see that the disciples too were prone to worry. The disciples were prone to wonder if things will be okay. And I believe the disciples too lived with this question of what if. In this passage, we are invited to have soft hearts and open eyes. In all that is going on around us, I believe that the voice of Jesus comes to us in the midst of our worry, in the midst of our doubt, in the midst of our confusion and fear. And the voice of Jesus invites us to trust in a God who is all-loving, who is all-powerful, who is in control, and who happens to know the end of the story. And in all of that, Jesus is inviting us to have soft hearts and open eyes. Soft hearts. Hearts that are full of faith. Hearts that are trusting Jesus. Hearts that not only hear His instruction, but follow in what He says. Hearts that trust that Jesus knows best. And open eyes. 
eyes to see His constant presence in our lives, no matter our circumstances. So what's taking place in this passage? Well, a bit of our context is that Jesus has just fed 4,000 people miraculously. And you'll remember several weeks ago, Pastor Norb taught from Mark chapter 6, where Jesus feeds 5,000 people miraculously. And it's after this miraculous event that we read that the Pharisees ask for a sign. The Pharisees ask for a sign. So the Pharisees come to Jesus and they begin to argue with Him, seeking from Him a sign from heaven to test Him. And He sighed deeply in His spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. So the Pharisees coming to Jesus and asking for a sign wasn't so much about them asking Him to show them His power. Jesus has already been demonstrating His power in many different ways. The Pharisees instead were were really seeking to see and know that Jesus was actually from God. They're coming to Jesus and they're saying, Jesus, we want you to show us a sign so that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are the one from God. We want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are worthy of our trust. We want to be confident and sure that you are actually who you say you are. They wanted to know that God was with him. And it's funny to us to think about that because as we've been reading through Mark, Jesus has done nothing but demonstrate over and over again these miraculous things, that God is with him. And these Pharisees are coming to him as if to say that all that he's done is not enough. It was an expression of unbelief. It was an expression of them saying, we are still not sure that you're someone we should trust. So they're saying, show us something right now, Jesus. And I love Jesus' answer. It reminds me of a little kid coming to their parents in, in, a, in a supermarket, holding a chocolate bar, saying, please, 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 can you give me this chocolate bar? Can you give me this chocolate bar? And the parent looks at them and says, no. <laughs> no. Jesus' response to the Pharisees is, no, I'm not going to give you a sign. And Mark adds this commentary that, that Jesus is grieved that they would even ask him for this request. They, they even ask him this. His response is, no. And we might read that and think, well, that's kind of mean. Why, why would Jesus answer no? Why wouldn't he just do a miracle? Why wouldn't he just prove that he is who he says he is? I think we need to remember that Jesus has already given them so much. He's already given miracles. He's already given teaching. And already there's testimony circling about who this Jesus is. And so Jesus chooses not to indulge this demand. We move on to the next part of the story where the disciples misunderstand. The disciples misunderstand. So we have Jesus arguing with the Pharisees and he gets on a boat. And the way Mark writes about this, I just picture Jesus being so grieved. He's sitting on the boat. He's contemplating what's taken place. He's thinking about this interaction. He's pondering it. 
And in a response to this interaction with the Pharisees, he turns to his disciples and he teaches them something. He says, watch out. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now this is interesting because Mark gives us a little detail before Jesus shares this, doesn't he? Mark points out that they forgot to bring bread with them. And it's funny for us as we read this because we see the disciples misunderstanding what Jesus is talking about. The disciples' dispute of, about bread erupts in the boat. And I can just picture Peter and James and John, maybe they're looking at each other and said, Dude, I brought bread last time. This was your turn to bring bread. They're like, the Messiah's hungry. Jesus is hungry. we, we got to get him bread. What are we going to do? And they, they start discussing this whole issue of bread. And this dispute shows us how their eyes were fixed on their immediate situation. We might look at this and say that their eyes were fixed on their position before Jesus. You know, if they wanted to be a good disciple, if they wanted to be, be considered Jesus' right hand, maybe they should have prepared better. Maybe they should have thought about Jesus' needs and, and taking care of Him so that Jesus would favor them more than somebody else. But it's so funny because Jesus, in this case, isn't at all thinking about physical bread. He's not thinking at all about physical bread. You see, yeast was commonly used as a metaphor for corruption in Jewish, Jewish circles. And it's just this picture of you take some yeast, you add it to a lump of dough, and that yeast will infiltrate every part of that dough... And the dough will rise, and you, you cook it, and then you have bread. Without that yeast, without the leaven, the bread isn't going to rise. And so we have in yeast this beautiful picture of something that comes in and changes the state of that which it's added to. And Jesus is taking this metaphor, he's saying, beware the Pharisees. Because if you let their teaching, if you let their understanding, if you let the way that they see the world get into you, it's going to change the way that you see things. And that's a problem. So what Jesus is saying to them had nothing to do with him being hungry. Rather, he was warning them to be aware of the ways in which they are influenced. Specifically in this passage, Jesus in his reflection on what just took place with the Pharisees, he's telling them to beware that they don't only believe if signs are produced. Jesus is, is asking them to beware so that they will not reject radical faith. Jesus is warning them to be aware of how they are influenced. The influence of the Pharisees in this case was to doubt Jesus. And Jesus did not want his disciples doubting him. The next movement in this is Jesus' frustration. Jesus is frustrated. He said, and Jesus, aware of them, aware of this dispute they're having, says to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hard and hardened? Having eyes do you not see? And having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. So Jesus here is, is 
you hear this frustration. His rebuke to them seems harsh. Why is that? Well, if we go back in Mark to Mark chapter 4, when Jesus first starts teaching in parables, Jesus has some, some words to say about the Pharisees. He says that they may indeed see, but not perceive. They may indeed hear, but not understand. And so a characteristic of the Pharisees and, and a lot of people was that they would see and hear the ministry of Jesus, but they wouldn't really understand it. They wouldn't allow it to make a difference in their lives. So you'd have these crowds who'd follow Jesus and they'd benefit from his miracles. They'd benefit from his teaching, but they wouldn't actually apply that to their lives. So they they were just kind of benefiting off Jesus. They sought Jesus for what he offered to them in the moment, but they missed the ongoing benefits of Jesus' person and his power. So Jesus' sadness in the boat is that his disciples had become a bit like the Pharisees. That their hearts had become hard. That their eyes were not seeing the way that Jesus desired them to see. The disciples' dispute over bread was evidence that they had missed the ongoing benefits of Jesus' person and power. So Jesus is standing there frustrated. I just fed 4,000 people. (laughs) I'm not worried about bread. Don't you get it? It wasn't about the bread on the hill. And in this moment, I believe Jesus is saying to them that that when he fed the the 4,000 and the 5,000, that it was an invitation for people to see that Jesus will provide, that God will provide for them. Because what happened in the desert when Israel was wandering in Sinai? They didn't have food. What did God do? He sent manna from heaven. And we see in the Gospels this picture of Jesus coming to the people. The people don't have food. What does Jesus do? He provides for them. And what is the greatest need of Israel? What is the greatest need of humanity? A Savior? What does God do? He provides for them. What the disciples should understand from the miracle of the loaves is the secret that Jesus is none other than the Messiah and the Lord. One commentator points out that Jesus is the one true loaf that's with the disciples in the boat. Jesus is the one true loaf that's with the disciples in the boat. So the disciples are worried about bread. They're worried about being taken care of. They're worried about where their food is going to come from. And Jesus is sitting in the boat and he's saying, Guys, I'm right here. What Mark does next is masterful. Because he transitions us to a different story, a different setting. Where Jesus heals a blind man. I have to ask this question. What was Jesus' accusation Towards his disciples. It was that their eyes were closed. That was the accusation. Your eyes are closed. You can't see. What does Mark take us to next? We read this account that Jesus takes a blind man by the hand. He leads him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes, he laid his hands on him and he asked him, Do you see anything? 
And the man looked and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and opened his eyes and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. We understand when Jesus tells parables, he's telling a story that is supposed to communicate meaning beyond the story itself. A lot of Jesus' actions, we could say, are enacted parables. That what Jesus is actually doing isn't just about the miracle, but it's meant to extend to something beyond itself. And I believe that this case of Jesus healing a blind man is just that. It is an enacted parable. Jesus, in His love and His compassion, takes someone who cannot see, leads them along, and through a process, through a journey with this person, He opens their eyes so that they can see. It was a process. It was messy. But friends, that's what Jesus does for each and every one of us. We come to Him blind. We come to Him unable to see, like the disciples sitting in a boat, worrying about where food is going to come from, right after Jesus healed, uh, right after Jesus fed 4,000 people, 5,000 people before that. And we come to Him in our confusion and our, our worry and our doubt and our fear, and Jesus takes us by the hand and He leads us. And He helps to open our eyes, to gain His perspective, To see things the way that He sees them. To understand things the way that He understands them. And what I love about this is what follows next. And I don't have it on the screen. And we talked about this last week. But right after this event, Jesus, with His disciples, asks them the question, Who do you say that I am? And Peter makes this confession of faith. He says, You are the Messiah. Peter only could have said that if Jesus had opened his eyes to see. And we see the disciples in their blindness in a boat move to this place where their eyes are open and they see Jesus for who he is. So what can we take from these accounts? As we head into this new year, this next week, and it's not just a new year, is it? So we head into this new decade 2020, we enter into a lot of new opportunities to worry. We enter into a lot of new opportunities to doubt, to fear. We enter into a lot of new opportunities to have anxiety. But we also are entering into a lot of new opportunities to know Jesus more. We're also entering into new opportunities to trust New opportunities to have our eyes opened in ways that maybe they've been closed in the past. Opportunities to experience Jesus, to experience His presence more, and to experience from Him all that He has to offer us. So how do we begin to enter into that? Well, first I believe we need to choose to walk in faith. We need to choose to walk in faith. It's so interesting to me when I read about the Pharisees' demand for a sign. And I've said this before, but I I feel like so many of us can relate to the Pharisees. (laughs) 
We, we read about them and we look at them almost like enemies in the gospel, but really they're a portrait of each and every one of us. Because I think in my own life, how many times I've run around demanding signs. It's like, yeah, Jesus, I'll do that thing, but only if you prove yourself to me. I'll trust you when this. I'll give more wholeheartedly when I have this much in the bank account. I'll trust you with this when you do that. We do it all the time. We run around demanding signs. A funny story of, of a man who finds himself in a community that's, that's being overcome by water. And there's flood, the flood waters are rising and this man retreats to his roof and he starts praying, God, rescue me, rescue me. When along comes a guy in his canoe and he says, Sir, jump, join me in the canoe. We'll, we'll get away from this flood. He says, no, 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 I'm praying. I'm waiting for God to rescue me. So the canoe paddles away. Next, a lifeboat pulls up and, you know, this rescue team is there and they're saying, Sir, join us in the rescue boat. We're here to, to rescue you. He says, no, 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 I'm praying. God is going to send help. The boat travels off. This guy keeps praying, God save me. Finally, a helicopter appears overhead. A, a rope drops down. They say, sir, grab the rope. He looks up. He says, no, I'm waiting for God to save me. Eventually, he's overcome by the water. He drowns, wakes up in heaven. God, why didn't you save me? I sent a canoe. Then I sent to you a lifeboat. Then I sent to you a helicopter. <laughs> what more could I do? I worry that my faith is sometimes like that man on a roof. I'm crying out that God will do something. But my heart is closed. My heart is hard. It's not willing to trust it's not willing to maybe take a risk, to go outside of my comfort zone, to have an imagination beyond my current circumstances, to picture and see what Jesus might be doing and how he might be inviting me into it. But it takes faith. And I love when Jesus is talking to the disciples, when he rebukes them, he says, you have hard hearts and your eyes you can't see. But he asks them this question. He says, do you not remember? Do you not remember? What did I just do with the bread? We need to remember all that God has done. And allow it to stir up in us the faith that we require to walk with Jesus See, the Pharisees asking Jesus for a sign was a rejection to Jesus' call for them to have radical faith. And we're going to unpack these the, um, further in this passage, Jesus' call to radical faith. We're going to be talking about that in the weeks ahead. But the Pharisees didn't want radical faith. They wanted assurances. But friends, the call to faith, the call to radical faith, to trusting Jesus, is a central part of the gospel message. And walking with Jesus begins with us engaging in that faith. Secondly, in this passage, and I think the primary message of this text, is that we need to pay attention to how we're being influenced. Pay attention to how you're being influenced. 
You want to walk with Jesus in 2020? Pay attention to how you're being influenced. Jesus is warning to his disciples to beware the leaven of the Pharisees. Echoes to us this morning that we need to beware the leaven of our culture. Beware the leaven of our world. Because it's pervasive. There are so many things demanding our attention. There are so many things seeking to influence us. A funny news, not really funny, it's really sad. Back in 2010-2011, a few celebrities, female celebrities, were rumored to have been using something called the baby food diet. I don't know if you've heard of this. But basically they were eating pretty much baby food. And they were saying that this is what was helping them look the way that they looked. And in the UK specifically, they, they, and these, so these accounts were just rumored. But in the UK, they saw a sales increase of baby food by over 60%, sometimes as much as 100%. As young women across the country flocked to supermarkets and started buying baby food so that they too could look and be and experience life the way these celebrities were looking and experiencing life. And we hear something like that and we're like, that's just ridiculous. But it's such a a simple illustration of how these young people were being influenced by a celebrity, being influenced by a culture. And I would like to think that I am not a victim of this type of influence, but I know that that wouldn't be true. I grew up being asked the question, if your friends jumped off a cliff, would you jump off the cliff too? Well, the question itself is redundant because, of course, the answer is no. I wouldn't jump off a cliff. But sadly, I don't think that we've truly taken attention of this simple advice. We live in a culture that wants to tell us the way that we're supposed to think. They're trying to tell us what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to be. A culture that tells us how we're supposed to to look, what our career is supposed to be like and feel like. We live in a culture where when we watch television, we're flooded with all these pictures of the good life. But friends, I don't think the good life in TV lines up with the good life that Jesus has for us. And constantly we're being called to think a certain way, to act a certain way, to be a certain type of person. But in so many of those messages, it's contrary to what Jesus has for us. It's contrary to what the gospel has for us. But we like teenagers flocking to buy baby food, (laughs) find ourselves too lining up, trying to get the next big best thing. And we turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to the gentle voice of Jesus that's inviting us to define life the way that He wants to define it. This is where Jesus invites us to have open eyes. To to see and hear the ways that we're being influenced. And to instead of following the ways of the world, following the ways of Jesus. Is that difficult? Yeah, that's difficult. But friends, I'm convinced that full life, abundant life, is walking in the way of Jesus. Not in the way of the world. 
Everything in the way of the world, all that it has to offer us is just counterfeit. It pales in comparison to the glorious life that Jesus has for us now. Many of us perhaps feel like the disciples this morning. Sitting in life, feeling under-resourced, feeling under-equipped to handle all that life is bringing your way. We find ourselves looking for answers, looking for help. Friends, Jesus came to bring us those answers. To bring us that help. And so lastly, we like the blind man, we need to choose to come to Jesus. We choose to come to Jesus. This requires us to have hearts that are soft towards Him. And eyes that are open to see, to see Him. And as we come to Jesus like that blind man, we let Him do a work in our lives. Friends, this isn't going to happen by, Jesus doesn't, you know, zap us and all of a sudden we spend time with Him. (laughs) He doesn't come knocking on our door and, 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 barge in and sit down in our living room and ask you to make him a cup of coffee. (laughs) Spending time with Jesus takes discipline on our part. We as a church staff have been practicing the discipline of silence and solitude. We go on silent retreats once a month. And it's to help us carve out that time to get away to be alone with Jesus. And I'm sure many of you in this room have a discipline of, of Times of of quiet with Jesus. And I can't reiterate the importance of that. Because if we don't know His voice, how can we be influenced by His voice? If we aren't listening to His voice, how can His voice direct us and guide us in life? So as we head into a new year, it's an amazing opportunity to ask those questions of yourself. What are the disciplines I'm going to engage in in this next season of life that I can walk with Jesus more? And friends, as we walk with Jesus, we experience His power in our lives. That's what happened to the blind man. This blind man comes to Jesus, and he experiences the power of Jesus in his life. And he can see. As we come to Jesus, Jesus wants us to experience His power in our lives. To help us walk the way that He desires us to. To help us to walk with Him in such a way that we, too, experience the full life. So as you look into this year ahead, I pray that you can find your primary influence in the person of Jesus. I pray that your faith will be stirred. That your hearts will be receptive. And that your movement would be ever towards Jesus. Let's pray together. Invite the worship team onto the platform. Father God, we thank you for texts like this. And Father, it's my prayer for each of us that we would have soft hearts and open eyes. Father, it's so easy to have soft hearts and open eyes to our culture, to our world. But Father, 
we want to have soft hearts and open eyes to you. And so, Lord, I pray that even now you would open the eyes of, of all who are in this place, that we would see you in a new way. Lord, that you'd help us to see our lives the way that you see them. Perhaps there's things that need to change. Perhaps there's a gift of you showing us where you've been working. But Lord, we desire to see you. And Lord, I pray that you'd work in our hearts in such a way that our desire would be to walk with you. Not just in this next year or decade, Lord, but for our, the rest of our lives. Jesus, we say that we love you. We say that we need you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.